Handy History Teaching Tips, blogs in a conversational style. Handy History Teaching Tips are conversational podcasts designed to help history teachers with tips, examples and ideas about history teaching. Sally Thorne, that's me, is a head of department and senior examiner. Helen Snelson was a head of department and now trains history teachers. Between us, we have more years classroom history teaching experience than we are going to admit here. Both of us regularly write resources and present at conferences. We are proudly history-specific and practical in our approach. Our hope is that this podcast will become something of a problem page for history teachers. Think of Helen and I as your agony aunts. If you're wrestling with something particularly tricky and need some help, drop us an email at handyhistoryteachingtips at gmail.com or tweet us. I'm at Mrs Thorne and Helen is at Snelson H. And we will see what we can cook up between us. Hello, this blog is part of the series Revising History, in which we're sharing our best subject specific ideas for helping students to prepare in these final months before their exams. And this particular blog is called Ideas for Exam Practice. Hi, Sally. Hi, Helen. So I'm going to get right in there with my with my first top tip. I know that visualizers are incredibly popular items these days. Um, you know, back when I started teaching, I still remember the excitement of the new overhead projector arriving in the department. Um, and now we have something much higher tech because it will it you, you it's video and you can record from it. So um, I use a visualizer most often when I'm doing exam practice with my students in the in the final weeks um, before the exams. And my favorite thing to do, um, I picked up from a blog by John Thompson um, and he explained how he would ask his A-level sociology students to um, write along with him. And so this is something that I've adopted. I don't do it very often because it is a real time suck. Um, so if you're going to do it properly, you probably have to, for a history essay at A-level, you're looking at a 45-minute essay or a 20-minute essay if, you, if you're going to do an extract or a source. And I, I teach AQA, so that those timings would work for, for my board. Um, so what I do is um, I, I set the question up on the board and then on a piece of paper under the visualizer, I write exactly as I would write in the exam. So I write my plan and then I write the essay after it. And what the students have to do is write along with me. So they have to write word for word what I'm writing down. Um, and obviously they're not doing the thinking, but what they are doing is they're following my thought process very closely. And the other point of it is to model to them how much you can conceivably write when you know, obviously I'm going to say it, when you know it all, like I do. So, <laughs> but when you've got really good subject knowledge, um, you know, you, it's that idea about picking out the right things to write and, you know, almost hand training as well, because history essays are long. They're always going to be long, particularly at A-level. And if you haven't got yourself used to writing for two and a half hours then it can be really difficult to to kind of do that over the yeah over the whole um throughout a whole exam paper completely i often describe to to kids that it just in the same way as they wouldn't try and do a um a race if they uh, hadn't done some training they wouldn't expect their muscle in their hands to operate if they've never yes. used it before so i'm really 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 mean about people having to handwrite things because while exams a handwritten they've got to be match fit haven't they yes and i agree yeah i think connected to, to what you're saying i mean something something else that i think is really really crucial for exam practice is writing to time mm, which yeah. which sounds so crashingly obvious but you know what as well i we um 
actually my department wrote to time ourselves because it's really, really hard. It's unbelievable what we're asking of kids to do and how quickly we're needing to deploy stuff. But writing to time yourself can give you a really good sort of sense of what's possible and what corners are best to cut to still hit the marks because you know so then you can become actually better at helping kids write to time then writing to time well it's that hand practice again but but also again you can start to 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 really sort of worry them about how how much they've got to pack in how selective they've got to be how precise they've got to be um but at the same time for some people actually of course they run out of things to say because they just don't know enough so you've got to make them keep writing for 12 minutes or whatever and before they're completely revised up that can actually go the other way and um yeah so just lots of things around writing to time and and don't start don't uh, just refuse to mark answers from the worried well who just will produce three pages because it's like there's no point if they can get full marks in three pages well i'm not interested um by this stage it's like sorry if you can't do it in a short time it's not worth it Absolutely. And I think I I think that's really important at GCSE as well, because, you know, with the smaller tariff questions, my students need to understand that they can do exam practice in in 10 minutes. They can do that. Um, You know, they don't have to set aside an hour. It is just that you're trying to access that information in the brain really, really quickly. And it's it's important that you you kind of. So with my students, I call it running the trails. You need to find that information in your brain and practice getting it to the into your working memory so that you can get it down on the paper. And it yeah so writing to time really really important okay so something else I like to do um is this is a whole school strategy um, that was introduced by our old head of key stage four maths Kat Ashby and she asked us all in our departments to do this with students and it's called bugging the question um so I think it works really well in history to kind of break down the different topic components of a question so bug stands for box the command word underline the key terms and go back to the question. Um, So the really useful bit for me in a history context is the underlining. Um, So, you know, we talk about boxing the command word. Well, the command word is is usually the same. It's, you know, in each it's how far do you agree or it's explain or it's, you know, it's, it's, it's describe or make an inference. It's, you know, those things that are kind of they're quite standard. But the it's the content that I think that they don't look at closely enough. So, the underlining bit needs to be it's the dates in the question it's the topic so if it's a medicine through time question it's is it treatment is it prevention you know if it's if it's germany in 1924 or 1923 is it the nazis or is it weimar it's trying to make sure that you're really um, looking at that topic and referencing both of those things in your answer and obviously going back to the question is something that we we should encourage them to do all the time yeah, definitely. Related to that, I, I spent a lot of time, I think particularly with A-level students, but also with GCSE longer questions in getting kids to really look at the second part of the question. And in fact, my A-level kids, I used to make them do that first because the stems were always exactly the same. Um, so, you know, for example, the interpretations uh, bit on AQA, where it's just, uh, how convincing are these uh, interpretations of, you know, you're going to get that. And I didn't want them panicking about um, the structuring before they'd actually latched onto the topic that was being asked and given their brain just that chance to go, oh, I know lots about this. Yes. Because so many of them would um, get, would dive into the interpretations or the source work or, or whatever it was and then forget to actually think about just what do they generally know. And I found that that meant that if the question was something like how useful, they'd lost the context 
so they, they make it was harder for them to make a judgment as to say how convincing well you can't answer how convincing unless you've got a really good command of the topic and if you yes. function yeah. yourself into a panic so that you've forgotten some of the topic so by making them focus on the second part of the question which is the original bit could be anything about uh, how convincing is this view as to why um, Adenauer um, fell from power in uh, whatever year he fell from power 1963 was it I can't remember now um that actually then they can start thinking about, oh, what are all the reasons I know as to why Adenauer fell from power? And then they can start looking at other people's views in it and go, oh, well, I agree with that. I don't agree with that. Oh, no, he's yes. missed that bit out. And I, I just found over experience that kids were more able to move around within their knowledge, having really looked at the second part of the question first. Yeah, really thought about it. I I mean, when, when I was doing my A-levels, my politics A-level teacher would knock 10% off an essay if you didn't hand a plan in a week in advance. Um, oh, oh, <laughs> we cursed me. But, you know, I tell you what, it, it worked. It worked. And when I went off to university, uh, everybody wanted to see my essay plans because he trained us so well to do that. And I don't go to that extent with my students. But sometimes I think that I should, because that process of pulling out that information before you start writing is so important because what I find is that students will. And, I, and this happened today. I, I was teaching my level class today. We were planning some um uh, some answers to the, the to paper one C to qu possible questions around um, Tudor rebellions. And a lot of them were kind of talking in the theoretical. Oh, well, if this happened, then this would happen. You know, if a if a government was weak, then it might lead to poor financial planning. And OK, but did it? You know, what is the history behind this? When did weak government lead to poor financial planning? Give me a concrete example. You You're buying the table, Sal. I hear you buying the table. That's brilliant. That's just what you do with kids. Yes, but give me the detail. <laughs> you know, I can't bang bang my desk at work because my laptop undocks and the whole screen goes black. So I'm I'm taking advantage of it here. Yeah. So I think it is, and and the other thing about reading that question as well um, is getting them to think about what is the opposing argument. And um, so if if it's a how far do you agree, you know what they'll give you an argument in the question, but what is your other argument? And something that I picked up from the mocks from my A level mocks this year is that sometimes there can be a, a language barrier there because occasionally you'll come across a question that will give you both your both arguments. So we were looking at one today that was. Um, how far were, were re religious rebellions more of a threat than courtly conspiracies? Well, you've got your two sides in the question. Um, but sometimes if you're reading at speed and this happened to to a very good student in the mocks um, that she was she was reading the question too quickly. And she thought that the two things in the, the question were her one side and she had to come up with another side. So, um, yeah. I've realised I've I've gone on a bit about reading exam questions. <laughs> but I think we've got that message across, and folks, it's really, really, really important. But uh, kids sometimes need to hear you really bang on about things as well. I think, and then they go, yeah, 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 yeah fine, uh, whatever, yeah. okay, we'll do it. Just whatever, we'll do it. it. You've ground yeah. us down. Yeah. Do it for me, guys. Do it for yeah. me. <laughs> Um, so, well, once they've done all of their timed essay practice and you've marked it, then it's it's time to think about what you can do to move them on from that point. And we're really big on feed feed forward tasks where I teach. You might call it dirt or reflection time or um, I don't know. We used to call it purple pen marking or purple pen tasks where, where I used to work. Um, so it's it's helpful to think about what they can actually practice when you're setting those feed forward tasks so sometimes um particularly if i'm if i've 
marked a, a GCSE paper, I might, uh, if they've done really badly on the 12 mark question, um, which is a, a kind of explain why question, um, if they haven't done very well on that because they don't know the topic, I don't ask them to redraft it because that's a subject knowledge issue. And I don't think that feed forward necessarily helps with subject knowledge. Um, I suppose it does in that they're going away to look it up. They're going away to do that reading. But actually, you know, if they can write an explanatory paragraph, then they don't necessarily need to practice that. What they might need to practice is something like answering the source question or being able to spot what the argument is in, inter in an interpretation. So with the feed forward task, that's a, a big tip from me is to try to make sure that it's really something that's worth practicing and not just a subject not unless you know that's their main issue then make it a subject knowledge thing yeah no i think those are those are wise words i think um also some of we haven't talked about is that exam practice can also happen very much in tandem too and um in pairs or even more in small groups if you can get them logged on to something like um gdocs i mean it's obviously not possible with every um in every school um, and if you've got really big classes and certain sorts of classes just won't do it but actually so many platforms now you can do shared writing and some of my students found that incredibly supportive and helpful and just keep mixing up the pairs and getting them to to add bits and, and improve each other's and and to do it online somehow was better than doing it with pen and paper and they could write in color and one could adopt one color and another could adopt another color and then they could send it to me and I could comment on bits of it but um, certainly I would suggest using some of these, uh, you know, these these shared platforms that exist to say my my favourite is always uh, Google Docs because my whole life seems to be tied to Google one yes. way or another. Um, it's tragic, but um, but it's so it's so easy to do simultaneous writing then. And I don't know, they just never got they never seem to get tired of the fact that it's like, oh, you're writing on that. I'm writing on that. And I think yeah. if breaking down a task and putting an answer together, you can do so much in twos or small groups. They feel as though they've produced a lot. And that's quite good for morale as well yes. as, as having a sort of cross commentary function and a sort of one dries up and another one remembers something and then another person can chip in. It goes back to that idea we keep having about making things a shared task and making it a bit lighter. So, yeah, yeah, don't forget to use all those sort of shared practices for even for exam practice writing. Yeah. And the, the thing I love about using Google Docs is that you've got then a permanent record of it. Absolutely. So they, can always, they can always look back on that. And and speaking of things, of things that you can look back on. So um, the other thing that I've been thinking quite carefully about is how we use our bought back papers um, from GCSE. So um, after 2017, Ofqual decided that uh, from this summer, from 2020, all exam boards have to make mark scripts available for schools to look at before the deadline for requesting a marking review. So if you're if this summer you're thinking about requesting a marking review on some scripts, then it's worth buying those or, or getting those scripts back. And they range in in cost from free to £11. Um, so it's you can get hold of those and and they they're useful for such a long period of time after that. Um, so we we you usually have to get permission from your students so we ask our students to sign on results day to say that we can have access to their scripts we explain that we're going to be using them anonymized in the classroom i haven't yet had a student turn me down touchwood um so the most valuable thing i've done with those as a department is is after the first year um, of GCSEs um, is we just we spent an entire hours meeting reading them so we just sat around reading the answers um, thinking about the uh, how they've been marked what what was valuable 
Um, and then we looked through a range of grades and we made packs of answers that we share with the students. So each pack of, of answers has got one middle level and one top level, um, although sometimes more than two, more than one middle level if there's a couple of different ways of getting those marks. Um, and we set the original exam as a mock and then we use these answer packs in feedback so that they can see the difference between, well, here's how you get to half marks, here's how you get to full marks. Um, and another idea um, that we that we do is to pick out some low scoring answers or even better if you can find ones where students haven't quite managed to finish then you can give those to other students and ask them to improve them and I think that's quite a big morale booster as well because you know you, you don't have to point out to them that <laughs> the reason these students probably haven't finished is because you know that it, it's different when you're actually in an exam and it, you're under a great deal of pressure so it makes them feel good about themselves when they're able to to make improvements on those in the classroom. Oh, those are really, those are really nice ideas, and I think um, the the buyback papers are are so useful for them being able to see things. Something else I tried once because I realised that I had some kids who were just in exams writing far too long sentences, which is just not not very good, not very helpful. It makes it very hard for examiners to read, and I know that shouldn't make too much of a difference, but you know people are human. Um, was actually get them to go through and say, okay, this is quite a good paper, but can we just shorten the sentences and just smarten it up and tidy it up and oh, yeah. pull out the thinking and actually by focusing on making the sentences shorter they had to sort of think about the sentence and rephrase it so essentially they were learning from the question yeah. as well that was written there and and um as I said it happened it happened because I wanted shorter sentences but then I realized it was having a real benefit because they were also having to think and rephrase and that itself was helping them to learn stuff so yeah, yeah I love that yeah Oh, well, I think those are those I've certainly picked up a couple of good ideas. You, you reminded me to go back and use Google Docs um, with with my class. We do something where they I'm, I'm very trusting, but they all contribute to a Google Doc that's up on the board. So they have to kind of fight each other um, to see who can write the most in the shortest space of time. Great. So I quite enjoy doing I think I'm going to be doing that next week. Brilliant. Oh, well, take care and we'll yeah. speak again soon. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thanks very much. See you. Bye. Bye.